Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Good afternoon, good evening. This is Alan Averill. Welcome to Agitators Anonymous episode 10. Who knew it that I'd get to 10? Quite the achievement, considering where we started from, which feels like it began in 1977 or 1978 by now, but it is what it is. The reaction to last week's video cast I did with Josh Barnett has been pretty much overwhelmingly positive. Thank you for that. The numbers are moving. In fact, I can honestly say that the last few episodes, I can see now the advice that Jarvis, who I interviewed a few episodes before from Night Demon, gave me when he told me that once you have a few in the bag, the numbers will start to move themselves. And what you need is to move some peer to peer sharing and get people talking. And evidently, some of you are, and for that, I thank you very much. It was an interesting conversation. It was an enlightening conversation. And the truth be told, I got more messages about the fact that I happened to be wearing glasses in the video cast than any of my astute political observations. Thank you for that. Um, for the record, they are blue filter glasses, total 100% hipster. Um, I don't actually need glasses, although I probably do. Anyway, thank you for your concerns about my headgear, about my eyewear, about my glasses, about how much of a hipster I look like, how much of a middle-aged professor, geography teacher vibe I have got going on, all of the above. Thank you very much. Thank you for your willingness and graciousness in avoiding discussing any of my insightful, witty and dynamic political points. I see where we stand. I see where we stand, i.e. let's hear more stories about you taking drugs and falling off things or you drinking wine and making a fool of yourself. Um, all those things considered, <clears throat> all those things considered, it's been a very strange... It's been a strange and turbulent time, no one can deny. I'm reminded of a poem by Rudyard Kipling that used to be framed and sitting in our kitchen when I was growing up. And it begins, if you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. If you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too, etc, etc. Um, and I'm 
slightly reminded of this in the sense that people were asking me to make comment on the political situation or would I make a comment on this and would I make a comment on that. I was getting direct messages via various platforms. People were asking me, people were advising me and I really thought about it. I thought, should I make some form of political statements? Should I make some observations? Is it my place? I felt that there was so much noise happening around so many topics and so many moving parts and so much to unpack, to take in, to discuss that I couldn't just make one or two points that I would have 50 and or 100 or X many. And is that really what the podcast is for? Is the podcast where some singer in a heavy metal band decides that the world needs his take on politics. Now you might say you might say that Primordial has always had an element of that within it and it's true. There has always been an element of not necessarily political opinion within Primordial. Primordial's not a punk band after all, but there has been an element of cultural or historical observation. There's been an element of alienation, sacrifice, martyrdom, all the topics that Primordial talks about and how they relate to our place in the modern world. But as for actual political observation, this is not really something I ever meant the band to be, nor did I mean the podcast to be that. I'm aware of the fact that I can look at the statistics and I can see when people switch off. I can see when you switch off. And there are so many podcasts devoted to discussing the political situation right now. Does everybody need my opinion on it? Are some people asking my opinion to get me into trouble? Certainly, the terrain right now is troublesome for speaking your mind. I mean, I've always said that I'll defend other people's right to state what I disagree with to the bitter end. I'm a free speech absolutist on those terms. I've always said so. But most definitely right now, the terrain is complicated. The terrain is difficult. And maybe a wise man thinks all he says rather than says all he thinks. Maybe so. And I'm aware that probably already some people are switching off going, what are you talking about? What are you waffling about? We're here for the stories. We're here for some observation. We're here for some gallows humor. We're here for... Well, maybe we're not sure what we're here for. But one thing is for sure, we're not here to hear you discuss the matters that every other podcast and every other media outlet is discussing. This is true. I get it. I get it. Everyone is fatigued. Everyone is fatigued. We've been locked in for months. And not everybody wants to hear everyone's opinion about things. I think part of the problem is, is that realistically for a decade now we have been under the grip of social media under the grip within the grip we have been let's say let's call it a decade ago we took the soma we took the drugs we injected ourselves and we've been slowly slipping under the water ever since and i think now we're in peak derangement we're at peak derangement of society we have reached an almost critical level, very much like I think tobacco companies in the 1950s told people there's no harm in smoking cigarettes. We're going to look back on this era and, and say to Silicon Valley, did you not know what this might do to people's consciousness, to people's mental health, to people's mental well-being? And here we are. It feels really like an experiment. This feels like a social experiment. It feels like we are being poked and prodded under some form of anesthetic to see how the muscles react. I remember once, a very, very long time ago, about 25, let me think, maybe 25 years ago, I went to art college. I mean, completely useless, realistically, because it was done before computers. Well, okay, useless is a strong word. However, one thing I do remember very vividly 
uh, this podcast will go off on tangents and will meander a little bit. But I do remember um, being allowed into... Actually, I did sign a legal writ to say I wouldn't talk about this at the time. But I suppose, well, here we are. They never banked on me doing a podcast in a, a quarter of a century, did they? Anyway, I went to um, draw, to life draw in the Royal College of Surgeons. And at the time, it was, I think I was in maybe the last group to be allowed to enter there. And as you entered, you entered this old room. The smell of formaldehyde was very vivid. The smell very, very vivid. And in this huge room, um, there was bedecking all of the walls, let us say, experiments in tubes and fetuses with abnormal heads. There was penises suspended with cancerous growths. There was all sorts of Victorian um, macabre, I suppose I would have interpreted as macabre, um, paraphernalia all around the room. And in the middle of the room were 30 silver dinner trays, let's call them. And under tarpaulins were bodies that, of people who had given their bodies to science. And we were allowed in to draw the bodies. I mean, quite incredible when you think about it, really. And the first year's job was to remove the head. So I do remember vividly standing there looking into what was like a freezer just full of heads and this rather avuncular, curious... I'm not supposed to say the word curious anymore. This gentleman, um, very cheery, perhaps too cheery for his surroundings uh, explained to us that um, not to be too worried about the things that we saw and that you get used to it and he pulled back a tarpaulin and little bits of um, flayed flesh went across the floor and there was a bucket underneath the silver dinner tray filled with giblets I suppose you would call them and needless to say the smell of formaldehyde or whatever one you want to call it in the whole room was overpowering and after 10 minutes, there was only me and this other goth girl who were left drawing. It's quite the goth thing, really. It would have been a nice story if that's how we met and f fell in love and lived in a castle somewhere. But it wasn't to be. Um, so we ended up drawing dead bodies for the afternoon and drawing the medical experiments and all of this kind of stuff around the wall. And where am I going with this? Who knows? And I do remember standing around a group of young students who were pulling pulling the muscles they had a skinned body on a table and they were pulling the muscles to show how the head moved and the eyelids moved and all this kind of stuff very very strange strange circumstance and a very odd I think I'm not supposed to say the word odd either actually regardless anyway we were, we were asked not to discuss what we've seen and there are some strange Victorian laws that state that um, those who receive a body of somebody who's given their body to natural science are not allowed to see those who receive it. So a small bell rang and a body came up in a little wooden elevator. I think I might have made that bit up, actually. I'm not so sure. Maybe I made that bit up, but maybe I didn't. I'm not sure. I definitely didn't make up the drawings that I found uh, in an attic a few years ago uh, of... Penises suspended in jars with cancerous growths and fetuses with six toes and six heads and lumps on their heads. If anybody would like some for a black metal album cover, let me know. I can let them go at a cheap price. Anyway, what am I talking about? I don't know. This is a rambling podcast. I'm going all over the place. However, what I will say, how am I going to bring that back to what we're talking about? I don't know. But the point was that with these small little movements within the arteries, within the muscles, the, the hands moved. And I feel that for the best part of a decade, we've been utterly controlled and manipulated by social media to the point that now every outlying opinion is taken almost as a religious revival for its religious worth. The news cycle has given over its worth to the clickbait algorithm and therefore I had toyed with the idea of calling this podcast Moderate Man Says Reasonable Thing. 
which on the face of it is not a bad platitude, is it? Really? Reasonable woman says moderate thing. Reasonable woman says reasonable thing. I mean, that sounds quite reasonable to me. And as somebody who admires very much stoicism, who admires dispassionate analysis of statistic, of mathematics, of empiricism and evidence and rational observation. Um, I like a headline like that, but I realize that it has no urgency and it has no agency in the modern world because the news cycle that we are absorbed by, this algorithm that feeds our willingness to have our own confirmation bias, I hate these modern buzzwords, but that's what they are, is driven by clickbait. So therefore, moderate man says moderate thing means very little in this day and age. And this every space of every argument has been taken over by the outliers of every argument. And these are the people that are in control of and manipulate our emotional stasis. They manipulate our mental well-being. And maybe in a time to come, people will look back and sue the overlords of Silicon Valley for manipulating our ill health in the same way that they try and take control of the diabetes problem that the world is engulfed in by virtue of the amount of sugar that's put into our food or as I said the tobacco industry selling us cigarettes in the 1920s when Edward Bernays had women at the end of the women's march all smoke and made this the headline like I said this is going to be a rambling podcast so you maybe want to strap yourself in to be dragged all over the place dragged here and dragged there but I had to examine my place my position at the end of the day I am a singer in a heavy metal band that's realistically about the only um, the only qualifications I have so does the world need my noise does the world need my opinion about these things am I the only am I the only suburban white male left who doesn't have a podcast I don't know the evidence would seem to suggest that there is a swarm of them, a plethora. Anyway, what am I talking about? What am I talking about? I think our, bro I think our brains are broken. I think we've been fried. It's like we've had too much electroconvulsive shock therapy at the hands of the MK Ultra, And we've tripped out. The switch is tripped. And we are collectively broken, collectively broken as a society. Now, of course, we also have to add to the fact that everything appears to be worse than it is. At least that's what I'm telling myself. It also struck me quite profoundly speaking to a cousin. Well, let's just call him a teenager. And that is that, in my mind, the Occupy movement is very fresh, but at the same time, it's 2008, which is 12 years ago. And I do have some observations, a couple of observations about what's happening right now before I move into some classic heavy metal tomfoolery and some storytelling. Um, so bear with me. And one of the most profound observations I have is that in 2008, the Occupy movement, if you look at what it was protesting against, which was globalism, which was the banking system, and now you look and now look at some of the people who are some of the companies, the multinationals, the petrochemical states, whatever you want to call them, but specifically the banking states, look and look at some of the names that are sponsoring and some of this, some of the protests at the moment around the world. Look at some of the names and you will see they're the same names that 10, 12 years ago the Occupy movement was protesting against. This is a pretty profound observation and I think people should really examine 
the nature of that and the fact that, as I said, we are now literally outrage machines. Our, our outrage is harvested by these platforms. And the more you clue into a particular hashtag, a particular algorithm, particular, you drive, you drive the traffic through these platforms, you make the same people rich, you make these same companies very rich, very powerful, who theoretically were the ones that 10 years ago, 12 years ago, the Occupy movement were protesting against, or the G8, some, the G8 riots, or whatever you want to call it. We've been turned on our head 10 years of, 10 years of selfish, narcissistic belief that has been brought to the surface by social media. It's, it's brought out always the worst of our interests, I feel. Um, and here I am sitting in an empty room talking about it. Maybe that's it. Maybe it has me as well. Maybe, maybe indeed. People have asked me, people have been sending me glimpses of my own glimpses. That's not the right word. They've been sending me snippets of my own lyrics because I, I appear to have been singing about many of the things that have been happening for 20, 25 years and asking me to explain them, asking me, asking me, uh, did I have some kind of curious, I mean, I'm not supposed to say the word curious anymore, some sort of foresight or something like this? Obviously not. <laughs> Obviously not. Because here I am doing a podcast. Anyway. Um, and I've written among In Exile Amongst the Ruins, the last primordial album, I've written lyrics addressing things like, let's say those who own the past own the future that kind of thing um, and I will just say that I do think it's Im impossible and somewhat naive to think that we can judge characters from the past from hundreds and hundreds of years ago with modern day morals tearing down statues is not a new thing the Victorians did it in earnest even in Ireland here, the IRA bombed many a statue into oblivion throughout the 20th century. So this is nothing new. And to pretend like it is, is, I think, incredulous. But at the same time, the optics, the instantaneous nature of this form of action is far greater now than it would have been in the past. And I just think that it's difficult. It creates an awful lot of difficulty in trying to assess historical characters who lived two, three, four hundred years ago by modern day standards. I think it's something of a something of a fool's errand. However, the problem is, of course, that once you cede ground to the mob and you give in to mob rule, that it never ends where you think it does. And this is one of the things that strikes me about people who are within the mob or people who advocate for the wishes of the mob, partly in the hope that the mob doesn't come after them, of course. But I think that for a long period of time, the West has viewed itself as impervious to conflict. It's been a long time since the Balkan Wars. It's been a long time since street conflict, so to speak. And a, a generation, I think, is almost LARPing at being revolutionaries, which I understand because that's the context of the time they're growing up in. But at the same time, there are primal forces underneath the veneer of civilization that don't take a lot to be revealed in all their ugly, ugly truth. And that's the problem I have, is that we may see a problem with a statue, but as people pull that statue through the streets with chains, it's only a few actions away from that actually being a person. And I think that that's where this journey may be headed if we don't pull back from that brink and think about the implications of that. Because I think because of the polarizing nature of all of this is that most 
people are not really interested in nuance. They're not interested in circumstance, context, or even the journey of the story. They're not really interested in any of this. They just want to win, and they're angry, and they just want to win. And on those terms, this makes them the most dangerous because there is no moderate woman to say something reasonable, to reason with them. That's just not how this plays out. And I think that the people who are cheering this on always think that the final decision will somehow rest with them, but it doesn't. It comes for everybody. It comes for the things that you like, the things that you love, and the people that you like and love as well. And that's the thing about once the train has left the station and it's hurtling out of control, it doesn't stop to pick you up along the way. It'll run straight past. And we know who burned books and where this goes. Anyway, that's the end of the the political observation and apologies if you've turned off because of it or you think any greater or any less of me because of it. But the fact is I don't wish to be claimed for either side in the debate. I am, as I said, a free speech absolutist and I don't wish to be claimed by either side. I just wish to err on the side of rationality and reason and debate and to strike to the bone of each argument, each conversation with logic, if I am able to view it and possess it. And to be able to, as I said, defend the right and the position of those that I disagree with um, as vehemently as I would my own. Anyway, blah de blah de blah de blah What a shame I didn't end up living in a castle that removed me from this sad place that we were in. Anyway, that's just me conforming to my own bias, hanging myself with my own petard, so to speak, and doing exactly the same thing that I just talked about not doing, which is volunteering my opinion that nobody asked for. Anyway, what am I talking about? Who knows? And I'm, and you're probably listening to this going, will you go back and talk about the time where you visited the Royal College of Surgeons and drew dead bodies? Well, needless to say, the gothic romance that could have blossomed that afternoon between me and another Cure fan never happened. So all I have is my pen- pencil sketches um, to be revealed to the highest bidder. So in a completely random, or what would you say, non-secretor, uh, I want to talk about volcanoes. I was watching the Werner Herzog documentary, Into the Inferno, I think it's called, and it's absolutely fascinating and prompted me to want to discuss a trip I had into the mouth of a volcano. Sounds dramatic? Might be, might not be. You've got to keep listening to find out, right? And it might just be an interesting aside to take the second half of the podcast into. So I wrote this, I wrote a story after coming back from Iceland some years ago. Um, Iceland is an absolutely stunningly complex, incredible place that doesn't really exist that long in the grand history of the world because it's realistically all just a volcanic plateau. But it is an absolutely amazing place. One moment you're in what appears to be like an Arizona red sand desert. The next, you could be driving through the west of Ireland. Then you'll go across black scree, black ash beaches. Um, wildlife you won't seem to see anywhere else. I mean, Primordial played there a couple of years ago, the Eisneflug Festival, and the the village that we played in uh, didn't even have a road until 1952. People literally just lived in the equivalent of yurts, uh, which is a sort of Mongolian tent. Um, and you could only access it by boat. But anyway, the the... the story takes place on a bunch of islands called the Vestman Islands, which is an archipelago off the south coast of Iceland. Um, it's a place where Viking Viking raiders used to call 
the Irish, the Vestman, um, in Old Norse, which means like the men who come from the most westerly point, I suppose, of the Atlantic, before the Atlantic. And that would be Ireland. So to wax sort of lyrical for a moment, the, the story goes that Ingolfur Arnarson, Arnarson arrived in Iceland. His blood brother, Hjörlifur, was murdered by the slaves he'd brought with him as they tried to find freedom. So the Vikings used to raid Ireland and take slaves to Iceland. Um, and many people say that's the reason why Icelanders have, for example, red hair. And if you definitely looked at, say, Solstafjör and Svavr from Solstafjör, the bass player, he is. He looks couldn't look more Irish. And his name is Ostman as well, so, you know. But so the story goes that Ingolfur Arneson arrived in Iceland and his blood brother Hjolfur was murdered by the slaves that he brought with him. And these slaves had fled to some small islands um, and they are what they call now the Vestmanjar, the, the Vestman Islands. So anyway, in epic, brutal, vengeful fashion, Ingolfur tracked them down and killed them all in retribution. And so the islands were called the Vestmanjar, the islands of the Westmen. Um, and it's a really strange situation, but I was traveling there with Solstafir. Um, there is a small, some small videos of it, which I'll try and post with this story on Instagram about us arriving there, which is a really strange, strange uh, feeling. Needless to say, after probably spending the whole night before sitting up being idiots, doing something stupid. Um, but Solstafir are playing in a hotel, like the lobby of a hotel. And the stage is in what is like the huge big dining room. And um, I end, everyone is trying to sleep and I end up talking to the chef, you know, and he's telling me that this epic tale of vengeance by Hjörlifur happened 1200 or so years ago. And he's telling me about the history of the islands and the history of the Viking raiders, you know. Um, I mean, you can say that uh, the, the the Barbary Turks also took Irish as slaves and brought them through the through to the med through the Mediterranean, and there are stories of um, fair-skinned, red-haired Turkish people from hundreds of years ago as well who would have been ancestors of Irish people. And but that's a story for another. Another time. That's another. That's a cluttered story to, that I can unpack from my grey matter some other time. Um, anyway, so this chef, he says to me, look at that bastard. Um, and he's looking at Svavar, the bass player of Sosphere. Could he look any more like a cliched Irishman? And he had a point. He has a point, as I said. Red hair, ruddy-cheeked, pale. The kind of man who looks like he shouldn't ever be driving a sports car or be out in the sun or doing anything athletic. Proper proper frozen chip shoulders and you know proper Irish looking proper Irish looking he looks like he walked from an ad for the Irish dairy industry in 1986 or 87 cold you know um, he has the look of a man always plotting mischief but that's another story anyway in the 17th century the islands were captured by the Ottoman pirates from Algiers that's what I was ref ref referencing and they took several hundred people back to Algiers to live out their lives in bondage, this chef is telling me. And that's where you get the idea that there are Turks with blonde hair and this is where they came from. Anyway, all of Solstafir were all standing around in this tiny little, um, tiny little hotel lobby. And one of the most strange occurrences was... Um, the local children from the local school were brought in to observe Solstafir sound checking, which is a really strange and quite beautiful moment when all the little kids were eating their lunch at small little tables watching Solstafir sound check. Um, and then they got to stand at the front of the stage and ask questions about what kind of guitar is that? What do the drums do? What do this do? What does that do? Really, really interesting and shows you very clearly the link that Icelandic art and culture maybe has 
to kids of a very young and impressionable age that for such a small country they have such a kind of hand or understanding of their artistic tradition or modern musical merit or something like this, you know. At least it's how I perceived it. Maybe not, but it's how I perceived it at the time, that this strangely beautiful moment of all these little kids swarmed around and asking the guys from Solstafir about what kind of guitars they had and that kind of thing, you know. Anyway, to come back to what I was waffling about, which is this which is this documentary on Netflix, Into the Inferno, I think it's called, the Werner Herzog documentary, um, which is about all these different volcanic volcanoes, these active volcanoes around the world, um, one in Sumatra in Indonesia, which once upon a time, almost, I think 74,000 years ago, erupted and almost wiped out the entire human race. It's a apparently some controversial theory that they think that only a couple of hundred people survived. <clears throat> or if any of you remember a couple of years ago when the volcano, uh, this other volcano in Iceland erupted and covered an awful lot of Europe and downed the um, airline travel at the time. We had some gigs cancelled actually because of it. Or if you can be directed to my Patreon there, is a discussion or will be a discussion on the Twilight of the Gods album and our first ever gigs were right at the tail end of that the volcanic ash cloud settling and we literally arrived um, I, I don't know why I keep saying literally all the time when explaining something that did actually happen it's a terrible modern disease anyway so it um, we arrived two hours before taking the stage and had to rehearse in an old barn all of us coming from five different countries, all waylaid by the ash cloud. Anyway, so to this point, I decide to climb the scree face of this active volcano. Um, 1973, a massive volcanic eruption forced all of the inhabitants to the mainland. And when they returned, they found the island had changed. It had been altered. A new smoking mountain stood where pasture had been. The inlet into the island's bay had changed. Basically, the Icelandic gods, the volcano gods, had decided to um, give birth to an extra little island, an inlet for the people of the Vestman Islands. So I decided, my infinite wisdom, hung over to death, um, that I am going to climb this reasonably sized um, volcano. I'm going to scramble up the scree. I'm going to get to the top of that and, you know, tick that off the bucket list, i.e. climbing a volcano. Not that that was on the bucket list before, but anyway. <clears throat> thing about it is it's still smoking. The, uh, there is still smoke coming off the top of it. So I decide, like I said, in my infinite wisdom, just pumping alcohol sweat, but three quarters of the way up, I realized that this was really not the best idea. And there was one man leaning on a fence just watching me. No doubt he'd watched many dumb tourists do the same thing, decide in their infinite wisdom that, oh, that doesn't look too high. I could, I could get to the top of that. I could get to the top of that. Three quarters of the way up, scrambling, sweating, bloody elbows and knuckles from pulling out scree from beneath me in sharp little rocks. Um, I realised that the the gradients, the percentage gradients was quite severe and that a tumble now and I would have gone about 50 or 60 or 70 feet down below me, you know. So anyway, I managed to make it over, get to the top of the cusp of the volcano, just managed to get over the edge of it and was able to just lie on this like a warm kind of like mattress of earth where the locals were still baking bread um, and there was rain lashing sideways and wind and clouds lashing across the top of the volcano. And I was just lying almost in this little own ecosystem of just like, like lying on top of a radiator or something like this while the clouds just flew over the top of me. Flew, that's not the best adjective, but whatever. Seagulls swooping down, mocking me. But I managed to climb over the top of it and it was only when I watched this documentary, this Werner Herzog documentary, um, 
the other day that it sort of prompted me to consider that maybe I should talk about that in the podcast, that 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 feeling of climbing up that strange little volcano and realizing that you were lying on a piece of earth that previous to this had only existed in the bowels of the earth or under the water or whatever. And I lay there for quite a while feeling sorry for myself in relation to my hangover, but also marveling at the the idea that the earth was still adding to itself all of the time and these tectonic plates beneath us were shifting all the time and it made everything seem relatively insignificant and it comes I was thinking about that when I was watching this documentary the other night about so much of the problems so much of the machinations of industry were caught up in this incredibly complex and dark algorithms manipulating our subconsciousness and then in the grand scheme of things one volcano that decides our time is up decides that our time is up and really in the grand scheme of things how much does any of it matter that was my deep existential hungover angst at the time uh, I still share some part of it however anyway the night unfolds very strange the people of the Vestman Island, I mean, if anybody who's gone drinking in Nordic countries know, in Nordic countries, you're allowed to just get absolutely smashed and just fall asleep under the table. And no bouncer is going to go, hey, 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 come on, come on. Like in Ireland, if you were to even look like you're about to fall asleep and not to be spending any money, you'd be out in your ear in 10 seconds flat. But in the Vestman Islands, they had a nightclub with a glass front, which seemed struck me as an incredibly odd move that you would put a huge big plate of sheet of glass as your so you could see into the nightclub um, in Dublin that would be asking for something to be flung through it or broken or maybe that's the Dublin of the previous few podcasts I've been talking about the Dublin of 1989 late 80s early 90s etc um, and there is an awful lot to unpack from those other podcasts that I think I might go back to and think about. Somebody said to me that I should really consider the influence of ecstasy and drug culture over this, over Ireland 1992 and how it changed subcultures and that kind of stuff. I may revisit it when I decide to do a podcast that's less rambling than this one. Anyway, so we end up in this nightclub in the Vestman Islands, ourselves in Solstafir. And no joke, The what do you think is the song that got everyone off their feet and moving. I Want to Be Somebody by Whitney Houston turned out to be the anthem of the Vestman Islands. Mystifyingly so, it came on and almost like as if I was on some kind of reality TV show, Icelandic reality TV show, where the, the entire place was playing a joke on me. Everyone got up off their feet, out of their drunken stupor and danced around like mad Yokes, mad jokes to Whitney Houston. Um, I'm sure this whole story would sound better if I talked in a regional accent, but uh, I might try and affect one for another podcast. I might do a few different podcasts in a few different regional accents, score some points with that. And anyway, so Whitney Houston, Whitney Houston. There you go. Vestman Islands. I still remember it. I've there there my takeaway memories. My other takeaway memory is being locked in a house afterwards in a, at an after party in a small toilet with Addy from Solstafir and we could hear acoustic guitars being moved around. And you know a party is, it's time to bail on a party when somebody gets out an acoustic guitar because you know what's coming. There's a wonder wall in your future. And sure enough, there was a wonder wall when we came out and it was like, oh, okay, time to leave. Time to leave, time to go. Time to return back to the mainland. And Svartir Sander, that Solstifer album, which means like black beaches or black ash beaches. Um, and they're all around the inlet of the port when you arrive in. And this, you get an incredible um, constellation of colours. The palette with which Iceland is mixed are the most heavy and incredibly dense and moody atmospheric colours 
cobalt sky and black ash beaches. And I, you know, Adi from Salisbury was saying to me, we come from the land of the ice and snow. You know that song's not about Norway or Sweden, it's about Iceland, because Led Zeppelin played there in the early, mid, early 70s. I guess a lot of bands stop over in Iceland on their way to the USA. It's, I guess it's a tax thing to get you moving through Reykjavik Airport. Um, and we drive back through a black ash landscape that looks a lot like something from a moon landing. Um, red, red Mars landing via the Arizona desert and next minute you're on a glacier and we stand and watch a geyser erupt spraying a hot jet of water into the pale blue sky. In the gift shop they have shirts with a whale fin breaking the waves and kill them all written underneath in the type font, the type font from the album Kill Em All. Only in Iceland. Only Iceland's only only Icelanders would find that that funny. Well, maybe Finnish people as well, but you know. And later on on a tiny bridge, we watch gulls swoop over the sea looking for small fish teeming at the surface and the distance mountains with vast clothes ro clouds rolling down about to engulf the small village we're standing outside. What am I talking about? Every house on island, every house is on a in Iceland is on the map. Every family name is more or left more or less etched into the landscape. Every son, his father's son, every daughter, the daughter of. You become profoundly aware that the Icelandics have been able to manage a very healthy relationship to their past. Their geographical isolation has insulated them, and their small society doesn't really doesn't tolerate the swings and roundabouts of a outrageous political fortune that ruins other countries. They also don't take themselves that seriously. I mean, Adi from Solstafir told me before that he once did karaoke with the Prime Minister of Iceland who also has a crass tattoo. Yeah, of course, it's just that kind of place, right? Anyway, if this world all goes to hell, like maybe it seems like it's on the cards. Iceland is maybe a good place to go. So start building your own boat. Start figuring out a way, figuring out an escape route, maybe, you know. Anyway, this is a rambling, unfocused diatribe. I've written, I'd almost written a script for this particular podcast. I'd almost wanted very earnestly to say, some things about the state of the world right now to stay to say a few things and then I thought to myself well who the who the fuck do you think you are who needs your noise who does well maybe you are looking for some words because here you are listening to it or you subscribed to it but at the same time does the world need my noise so I just threw away the script threw away my notes threw away the prompts sometimes I do write yeah, words on a page and like I used to do when I used to study, just write down a word and then the whole paragraph would come, you know. But I didn't. I just decided to speak off the cuff and see where it took me to ramble and maybe better for it, maybe not. Anyway, so the, as I said, the reaction to the video cast with Josh was overwhelmingly positive and I'm going to start doing things like that more often as we try and as I try and build the channel, build the podcast, move things along. Um, so if you can think, if you have suggestions of who I should talk to, give me a shout. Um, like I said, I deliberately tried to make this one meandering and waffling and move in and out of a few stories. But ultimately, I think that we may have to take a step back from the way we're living. It feels really very much like we are part of a social experiment that you add in the lunacy of 2020, the chaos, the virus, the the pandemic, the lockdown, the quarantine, the this. I mean, and then there's stories about, in Ireland, there's stories right now about rats big enough to have saddles. There's killer hornets. There's this. It's 
like as if the people who are in charge of the simulation have decided they just got a bit pissed. They just got a bit tired of it all and went, fuck it, let's just throw a few, few bit of craziness down there, see how they react down there. So you see how what I did there? I presumed, presumed them to be in some sort of mechanic or some sort of digital heaven looking down on us. <clears throat> anyway, I do think we're going to have to step back from these polarizing opinions, these outlying opinions, and letting, letting the loud hailer be monopolized by people at either end of the spectrum. Because otherwise, if we only listen to outliers, we only listen to the most vociferous, aggressive opinions. We are in the grip of what I consider to be something like a religious revival. And when our discussions move from being objects of reason to articles of faith, I think we're really, really in some serious trouble. And that's the extent of my social commentary on all this. No doubt, not enough for some people and too much for other people. And don't worry, I'll get back to some silly stories, that's for sure. A friend advised me, she said, you're just starting out with this. If you're going to consider yourself doing 50, 100, 120 episodes, don't waste your top 10 best stories for the first 10 podcasts. Don't waste all of your, maybe some of you will listen to the very first podcast, which is a great story about Sai from Japan and playing a gig in 94 and etc. Go back and listen to it if you haven't listened to it. But she just advised me, that's a great story. Are you going to waste all your ammo in the first dozen and then in six months have not much to talk about? Who knows? Might be off the air by then. Never can tell, can you? Anyway, episode 10 is a rambling diatribe. And that is the end of it. Thank you very much once again, my friends, for listening, for bearing with me. It's primordial underscore MTN at Instagram. And we will see you next week. And maybe I will be a little less rambling and a little bit more focused. Who knows? Who knows? Get building that boat. Get building that boat and learn how to row. Metal never bends, my friends. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.